0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Hello and welcome to the Saturday edition of Coffee House Shots. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Fraser Nelson. Earlier this week, Finland announced that it would be applying to join NATO and Sweden is expected to follow very shortly. Now, this obviously comes after the security pact that these countries have created with the UK uh, to join the British nuclear umbrella. So what is the future of NATO and the defence of Europe against transgressors? Fraser, maybe I can start you off with that very big question. Is NATO going to get much, much bigger in the short term?
2: I don't really think so. I mean, um, Ukraine, for example, has wanted to join NATO for some time, but it was actually vetoed by Germany uh, years ago. And if anything, Zelensky is actually softening on his um, support for NATO uh, at the moment. The paradox is that we've seen a complete upheaval in Russian-European relationships, the emergence of a war. We've seen alliances pop up that we never would have dreamed about. We've seen the notion of the West being replaced by the global democratic world, because now we've got um, Singapore and South Korea and Japan as keen on um, this standing up to Putin as, as Europe is. What we haven't really seen is NATO. Nobody has really been organising these things. NATO, sure, I mean, you, you've had the NATO spokesman there, you've had little uh, NATO summits, but nothing has really been done through NATO. You've had a joint expeditionary force of Britain and the Baltics. Uh, you've had other little ad hoc alliances. But the only real active thing we've seen in NATO right now is that Sweden and Finland want to join. Now, they want to join there simply because they think they're they're safer. That is ultimately the reason they didn't join in the Cold War, because they thought it would be safer to be unaligned. And Finland has always been sort of, you know, um, throughout the Cold War, it was a little bit dubious as to whether it was an Eastern or a Western country. Take the Eurovision Song Contest comes out tonight, like Finland would actually compete in the Soviet Intervision Song Contest, as well as the Western Eurovision Song Contest, keeping a foot in both East and West camps and keeping that sort of ambivalence. So that's how I'm, Finland was hedging its bets, but no longer has got this massive border with, with Russia, quite rightly thinks its this border is vulnerable. Um, because the language that, I mean, the methods that Putin used as a pretext to attack, attack Ukraine are exactly the language and the methods that Russia used to attack Finland b- b- before the war. So you can understand why Finland is doing this, but I'm not sure this will necessarily revive NATO as being the kind of force that it was during the
1: Cold War. James, because for a time, particularly under President Trump's presidency, you know, there was concern that. Member states were not giving enough money, and certainly not two percent of their GDP. And Americans were very concerned about that. But but you don't think that that's going to be turning around now, or?
0: I think it will. I think European countries will spend more on the fence. I think mean, the fact that Germany is going to go to two percent by twenty twenty four will have a big impact. I mean, you've seen lots of other European countries think of Poland saying that you know that they're going to go beyond that. The UK itself is explicit: that two percent should be seen as a as a ceiling, not a floor. So I think that will. Deal with the problem. I think it is also the fact that you have a revanchist Russia has kind of given NATO a, a purpose. You know, Emmanuel Macron said it was brain dead. Well, it, it's quite clear that it, it's actually still a useful thing to be a member of. Hence, Sweden and Finland's desire to join because you know Article Five does offer protection. I, I think that obviously the long term challenge to NATO is NATO is heavily dependent on the U.S. nuclear umbrella, mm. the U.S. presence in Europe. And the worry is that, you know, you could see two things that could, that could threaten that. One would be the return of a kind of Trump-style figure, or the second could be uh, a less dramatic shift. But, you know, you've got a US president who was an Asia-first, uh, you know, who basically thought that Europe was a distraction from dealing with the China issue and so basically sought to extricate the US from NATO for that reason. I think if European countries are spending serious money on defense, then I think that that uh latter scenario is less likely to happen because the u s would not be being asked to kind of to carry the whole burden of nato it would be, it would be basically being asked to be willing to offer its nuclear umbrella to to NATO members uh, i also think that NATO have played an important role in this conflict because NATO membership you know has helped in terms of trying to move Soviet-era kit from those NATO member states that have it, has gone to Ukraine. And in exchange, those countries are often uh, either being given or at a heavy discount kind of receiving US and other Western military kit. So, I mean, that uh, works. And then I think the other thing, which is that you are seeing the next question i think which i still think nato is not agreed on is the kind of the british view very much is you know look nato needs to do more in the indo-pacific not move there but have more Mm. relationships with things like the quad the u.s alliance there because you know you've got to keep the u.s interested while the french want to keep nato as very much an atlantic alliance and say, look, look, Indo-Pacific and China policy should be a separate discussion.
1: Well, especially with the AUKUS route uh, over the French being kicked out of the nuclear deal. I mean, they're pretty sore about the Indo-Pacific
0: mission. Yeah, no, no, no exactly. And, and the, the kind of question there and how you coordinate this. And I think you know, I think be, this is going to be one of the big challenges for NATO, which is you know, how do you maintain the importance of the alliance? Because when the primary to its most important member, the US, the primary security concern going forward is ultimately going to be China. You know, you've got NBC, you know, the, the US television channel, you know, holding war games about China invading Taiwan and what happens next and you know broadcasting about them on primetime TV this is the the US position here is, is moving. Mm.
1: And Fraser not surprisingly the Russian foreign ministry this week has uh, warned of retaliation that they will have to take retaliatory action uh, if Finland and Sweden go go ahead with this. Do you think that something like this which is ultimately seen here as a defensive mechanism could actually uh, you know back Russia into more of a corner? I mean, that, Perhaps it's a silly question, considering they've already started a war. Yeah,
2: um, well, this has always been Russia's position that it's been it basically war in Sweden and Finland. Look, if you do this, there will be consequences. Now, what they've done is um, the the Moscow's muttered that there's going to be what they call military technical response to to Finland's um, joining NATO. We didn't really say what that would mean. <laughs> the Swedes are a little bit anxious that there might be some action around the island of Gotland. This is a massive part of Sweden in the middle of the Baltics. I'm going on holiday this year, by the way, so I hope they don't invade. <laughs> um, but it has always been the sort of, uh, you know, it's Sweden's great paranoia, but the Russians will come and, and take um, Gotland. And also, you are seeing some. Um some, I guess, some propaganda, there's crueler words about Finland and the Polish press. They're um, opposite the Swedish embassy in Moscow. There's now a big advert comparing lots of Swedes to Nazis, saying mm. that the founder of IKEA is a Nazi, that um, the Pippi Longstocking author is a, a Nazi sympathiser. And, of course, Nazi is the, the vocabulary they used to describe Ukraine before the invasion. So um, that's not to be taken lightly. Uh, you read the Finnish press and the Swedish press this morning. They're they're very anxious. They're anxiously looking around for anything that might be seen as a Russian backlash. But there hasn't really been one. But they do feel vulnerable. And I'll tell you why. That they might not be able to join NATO. Mm. They might get vetoed. You, in the same way that Germany vetoed Ukraine, you might get somebody, perhaps Erdogan in Turkey, who, by the way, is Putin's pretty much only friend on the continent, uh, might play difficult. So this can take, the ratification process can take a while. Now, the Americans have been a little bit mean in saying that they will not extend their protection to Sweden and Finland until they join NATO. So now there's a window between them saying they want to, but they're not actually having proper American protection. So they feel nervous. But as the the Finns were saying this morning, the more Russia threatens um, Finland, the more the support for NATO membership rises in Finland. In terms of where the Russian military is currently deployed, I think its ability to, to
0: threaten right. and menace Sweden and Finland at, at this moment is low. They're yeah, struggling in Ukraine, isn't they? Like? Um, I think there is an interesting question here, though, which raised the which is you know, it, Boris Johnson, obviously, the UK, is providing these defence guarantees to Sweden and Finland. I, I think these are more serious than people here have realised. Mm. A, for the reason that, you know, something could go wrong in the NATO accession process. I doubt it will, but you've got Erdogan demanding kind of clampdowns on Kurdish groups in Sweden and Finland. You you, you can see how problems there can emerge. And also for that scenario we discussed earlier, which is about the, the US, you know, pulling back from NATO under a future president. You know, the UK would then be left as, you know, uh, the UK and France would be the remaining two nuclear powers in NATO. And, and that would have indications i also think this is a fascinating thing about the role of these uk ad hoc alliances that fraser has written about like the jeff being one of them yeah i mean that is one of the things that has helped bring sweden and finland into nato it has you know it has moved finland quite decisively away from the from its previous cold war status it's made quite clear on which side of uh, it it lies i also think on Ukraine, I don't think NATO will join Ukraine, but I think what's very interesting is this UK-Poland-Ukraine agreement. That is essentially based on a strategy of deterrence by denial, that Ukraine will be trained and equipped with such a level of modern NATO-style weaponry that the Russians will not think that they could invade and triumph through the use of conventional forces.
1: Fraser, do you think Putin expected this to happen? I mean, obviously for a long time now, it does seem like it has been... Uh, a strategic mistake for, for Putin to invade Ukraine in the way that he did. But is did you, do you think he expected an outcome quite like this?
2: Uh, no, I think the fact that we're having a war in the first place demonstrates things have not gone according to Putin's plan. He would have thought, as let's face it, and much of Europe thought, that his Ukraine technique would be a walkover, mm. that Europe would be divided. And part of that division, he thought, would be that the Scandinavians mm. would stay away from NATO, even though if you but if you actually look at what's happened in the last few years, Sweden especially has been doing joint operations of other mem- NATO mm-hmm. member countries, and on a practical basis, they've been more and more. Parts of the West. I think it's one of the many miscalculations Putin made that if he he wanted to keep NATO at bay, he's done exactly the wrong thing. I mean, invading a neighbour is exactly the sort of thing that makes um, Finns think, well, I think we'd be better off with American protection. So yeah, this was a blunder by him if he wanted NATO to stay brain dead, as Emmanuel Macron called it a couple of years ago. But, you know, he still might might get his way. I mean, um, the the Swedish press right now is leading with um, the idea of Erdogan's veto. Mm. Erdogan has said that Scandinavia is a hotbed of terrorism. That's his language. By which he basically means that they are... I mean, if you sort of follow these things, as I do, this has been a sort of theme. I mean, um, Erdogan summoned the Swedish ambassador recently to Turkey to complain that the Swedes had been hanging out with the wrong sort of Syrians. I mean, Turkey is very sensitive And sees now a bit of leverage, because right now Sweden and and Finland both need Turkey to say yes, or at least no, not veto. So Erdogan will be thinking, well, what can I get out of this? So it's not, and also the the Swedish political parties are having a debate right now as to whether they're going to go through with this. It's not a done deal yet. But what Putin has certainly done is, I mean, forget NATO, he's aligned most of the democratic world against him. Um, because for as long as Putin stays in power, he is going to be regarded as a pariah, not just by um, NATO, but by a whole bunch of countries on the other side of the world as well.
1: And, James, is there a chance that Finland and Sweden would be rejected from NATO? And also, relatedly, why, why was Ukraine rejected? And is it still unlikely that Ukraine will be able to join?
0: I think it's very unlikely Ukraine will be able to join because you're not allowed to join NATO while you have a kind of ongoing territorial dispute. And I think it is uh, not unreasonable to say that Ukraine is currently in one. I also think that you know, Ukraine was not going to be able to join NATO because the Germans and the French. Are fundamentally unsold on the idea. They think it takes NATO too, you know, it's too provocative. In even in,
1: now, in, yeah, even now,
0: yeah. I think this deterrence by denial strategy is much more likely, where you know you see a, a coalition of the willing come together to to essentially arm and equip Ukraine to prevent, you know, to 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 essentially act to deter in that manner. I think that on Sweden and Finland, I personally read Ergeland's comments as pushing for leverage, that, you know, this is his moment to try and get, you know x y and z group that he doesn't like outlawed in in sweden and finland so i think there'll be some you know there will be some tensions there and i think it's also worth remembering that you know turkey has been such a difficult member of nato in recent years that several nato member states have signed kind of individual defense pacts with greece with the obvious implication being of which side they would come to the aid of if that situation became uh deteriorated still further in in those tensions
1: and Fraser, just finally, is there still an active discussion about who is going to be the next uh, Secretary General of NATO or has that been put on the back burner now because of the war? Because for a time we were discussing Theresa May and then for another time we were discussing Ben Wallace.
2: Yeah, but still technically up in the air. But they they've extended Jens Stoltenberg's tenure already. I don't think he's in a rush to go. I don't think NATO is in a rush to try to find a new leader. So it wouldn't surprise me if he stayed longer. They've got a whole bunch of things to be deciding right now in NATO, and um, I imagine that they collectively will think, well, this isn't a time where we want to lose one of our um, one of our leaders.
1: James and Fraser, thanks very much and thank you very much for listening. If you enjoy what we do here at The Spectator, remember we have a new offer for you. You can get unlimited digital access to The Spectator for just £1 a week if you go to spectator.co.uk forward slash unlimited and if you want print access, on top of that it's just another pound. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Coffee House Shots. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating and review. And to keep up to date with the world of Westminster, sign up for unrivaled insight and analysis with Isabel Hardman's Evening Blend newsletter, delivered to your inbox every weekday evening. Sign up at www.spectator.co.uk forward slash evening hyphen blend.